Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I am half chowed, so don't come at me, Boston, like I've got some sort of axe to grind with you. I am you. Well, I'm half you. I'm like I am them. I'm like your step host. I'm half you. I'm half chowed. And even more shocking, I'm half Frisco. I didn't know that till like, I don't know, three months ago. I mean, wait a minute, I'm half Frisco and half Chowd. Anyway, it's been 36 hours and the Patriots quarterback controversy is not getting any less controversial. In fact, it's all anybody's still talking about. Probably because most of us are still trying to figure out what the hell is going on in New England. Because, and wait for it, clones, this is for you. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's it doesn't. But, but but honestly, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. There, are you happy? It doesn't make any sense. Are you happy? This is what happens when I give you what you want. It's dumb. Listen, you know things are bad for the mumbler when he's got former players viciously chirping him on Twitter. As an example, two-time Super Bowl champ, Asante Samuel, who tweeted this yesterday. It's a really well-respected player, right? Quote, Belichick is starting to show you he is an average coach without Brady. End of tweet. Uh-oh! Yeah, I mean, not exactly a hot take. Not exactly an original take. However, it's a former player saying that about him, right? Now, it does sound absurd, Because it is an absurd thing to say about a dude who does have six rings. However, if you look at the numbers, he's also now 74 and 83. 74 and 83 all time in the regular season without Bacon 45 under center. So technically, he's not just average, but below average. Now, nobody really thinks that the hood is anything other than a head coaching legend, which is exactly why people are so confused as to how he could butcher the handling of his young quarterbacks as badly as he did Monday night and why he keeps making it worse. Pat's fan is confused. Pat's player is confused. I am confused. Everybody's confused. Because the Hood said the plan all along was for both quarterbacks to play. Which, I don't think you need to be the Hood to be able to make this statement. It's an absurd plan to begin with. That whole, if you have two QBs, you have none cliche, is a cliche for a reason. However, allegedly, that was the plan from the beginning. Mac Jones said the Hood did, quote, a really, really good job, end of quote, of explaining that plan. Yeah, I guess, except that apparently nobody else was in on that plan. Because after the game, you had some really key guys on that team saying they knew nothing about it. Ramondre Stevenson, arguably their best running back, said players, quote, weren't aware, end of quote, that both quarterbacks would play. Their right guard, Michael Wenu said he, quote, didn't know who was playing or starting. You think maybe the linemen should know who they're blocking for? Wide receiver, Jacoby Myers, pretty important. He said he, quote, definitely, 
end of quote, was surprised at the switch. And then, quote, it's tough as a man to see someone who works so hard get that kind of treatment. End of quote. That's a strong statement right there. Like the coach did Mac dirty. He busted his ass to get back in there and effectively turned the entire stadium against him. Then he went on to add, quote, not even the coaches, just everybody, the crowd, all of it. It was an ugly situation, in my opinion. End of quote. You know, we're talking about the hood who wants everything kept in house. These are really strong statements. That's a strong statement that it was really everybody, the coaches, the crowd. It was an ugly situation. When have you heard a player critique Belichick like that? It was an ugly situation. But he's right. It was. It still is. And even worse, an ugly situation completely manufactured and created by the GOAT himself. And probably his offensive brain trust of Matt the Pencil and Joe the Mouth. All with their zero offensive experience and even less wisdom. Zero point zero. Listen, I understand not wanting the opposition to know who is going to start, so therefore they have to prepare for both. However, I don't understand you having to prepare both, right? I don't get not telling your own guys who's going to play. The hell is that going to get you? Other than beaten down in your house by a Bears team that most had already left for dead. So yeah, of course the crowd got worked up into a rabid, mouth-foaming frenzy. But that's not on them. They don't coach the team. They don't make the game. They weren't the ones who ripped the chair out from the starting quarterback in prime time on national television immediately after a pick. Oh, and by the way, the hood? The hood would have you believe that that pick had nothing to do with the timing of his move. Again, that it was all part of that plan. The big plan. The master plan. The only problem with that is that Bailey Zappi went on WEEI in Boston and made it clear that he had no idea when his number was going to be called. Did you know that it was exactly the fourth drive that you'd be going into this football game? Uh, no, sir. You know, that's kind of up to Coach Belichick. That's his decision. I kind of prepared the whole week like I had the last seven weeks to, you know, kind of have the mentality that I was one play away. Um, whenever that was, I was going to be ready and kind of just prepared that way this past week and taking every rep like a game rep. No, sir! So, to recap quickly... Mac Jones said that the hood did a, quote, really, really good job, end of quote, of explaining the plan. Except it doesn't seem like anybody other than Mac had any clue what the hell the plan was. And the timing of the switch allegedly had nothing to do with the INT. But also there was no plan set with Zappy that he knew of that he would take over for the fourth drive or after the first quarter or at halftime or at any specific time at all. He said as much on EEI. So, like I said at the very top, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. None of it. It did not on Monday night, and it doesn't right now. So, it all hits the fan. It's ugly. There's a beatdown. Everybody's talking about it. Nobody knows what's up, even his own players. So, of course, after presiding over and creating this entire disaster, the mumbler had a chance to provide some clarity to the entire thing, settle everybody down, let us know what's up. He had that opportunity when he met with the media yesterday. 
an opportunity to clarify things. And of course, he clarified nothing at all because he never clarifies anything. He barely even opens his mouth to speak. He could not be any less clear if he tried. He just sort of mouth-breathed, mumbled, and grunted his way through the presser. You know, like he mouth-breathed, mumbled, and grunted his way through the postgame Monday night, even though the guy was facing completely legitimate questions. You know, like if Mac were healthy enough to play, then why wouldn't the plan be to just play the better quarterback for all four quarters? Yeah. Well, again, Andrew, there's a lot of things that went into that. So, um, you know, uh, at this, I don't really have the time to get into it here. It's more complicated than that. But again, I'll just leave it as we did what we felt was best for the team and the players involved. And obviously, it didn't work out, but that was the decision. I love two things about that. We don't have time to get into that here, and we did what's best for the team. First of all, Hood, we have all the time in the world. This is the biggest story in the NFL right now. It's all anybody wants to talk about or hear about. And by the way, you do have time. Don't tell me you don't have time. You absolutely have time to get into this. You had all the time in the world when you subjected all of us to that seven-minute 1,000-word lecture on how incredible the Bears were going into that game. Don't tell me you don't have time. Oh, no, dude, you have lots of time. You had plenty of time to lay that out. That diatribe is still going, probably. So if there's time for that, believe me, there is time for your clarification on what the hell you're doing with your quarterbacks. Time for clarification as to how playing both those guys when you played them, was best for the team. And that, to me, is the biggest point of all. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. I know you know about it because the second I got mine and I started talking about it, people were rushing up on me like they knew. They wanted to talk about it. It's because the egg is the most versatile grill you're ever going to own. I'm telling you, you can grill, roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. Yes, try a pizza on the egg. It will amaze you. It works. It's incredible. So stop wasting money on grills that you have to replace every few years. We've all been there. We've done that. It gets old. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs, too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg. It is a ceramic marvel. It's backed by a lifetime warranty. That's right, a lifetime warranty. It is simple to light, it is easy to use, it works without a power source, you don't have to plug anything in. So with the playoffs and the holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. How cool is that? And it makes a great gift. And they've got two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered right to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. That's right. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com. Have it delivered to your house for free. That's how I did it. It was an awesome experience. That's BigGreenEgg.com. And yes, you will thank me later. Since when has trying to get two young quarterbacks ready, one coming off injury, and playing them both without telling anybody else on the team been the best thing for the team. Let me repeat that. You say, the guy always says that. Everything is, we're just trying to do what's best for the team. 
It's just what's best for the team. We're just doing what's best for the team. When has trying to get two young quarterbacks ready at the same time without telling anybody else been the best thing for the team? I'll tell you when. Never. I know that's your go-to for everything, your standard response to every question ever. We're just trying to do what's best for the team. But how the hell could this be what's best for your team? Just repeating that over and over and over again is not going to make these questions stop, especially since clearly it's not what's best for the team. Monday night's excuse for why he couldn't say who the actual starter is moving forward was, we just finished the game. We just finished the game. All right, that's fine. After a night to sleep on it, it then came up again, obviously. He was asked again yesterday, point blank, is Mac Jones the starting quarterback? Uh, again, th- that's a hypothetical question, so let's let's see you know, where that is and what that is. How is that hypothetical? It's a direct question. Is Mac your starting quarterback? Like, if he's still not healthy, then why did he start on Monday? And if he is healthy, why are you not answering the question? So, in other words, what this dude has done is he's taken a really bad situation, a situation of his own making, and he's making it even worse. He's out here trying to put that tire fire out with gasoline. Like, the hood man, I thought, was the ultimate anti-drama proponent. He's anti-drama. Instead, he's out here manufacturing and creating all this drama. He's turning Foxborough into a drama factory, turning himself and his quarterback into daytime soap opera stars. Like, he made this mess, and now he's making it worse. And it's hard to understand how or why he's doing any of it. It's all factories. It's all factories, man. It's all one big drama factory. That's a hypothetical question. His own guys don't understand it. Some of his former guys are killing him for it. Hell, his own guys didn't even know it. These are the times where I wish that Belichick had a Twitter account just for this. You know, like where he'd only follow former players, colleagues, and family just so he can, can keep up with everybody. You know, like most normal folk. He's walking the dog. He and Nike are out for a W-A-O-K. You know, come on, Nike, let's go. Okay, we need some air, you and me both. Let's go. Okay, okay. Come here, boy. Come here, boy. Let's go for a W-A-L-K. So he gets a notification on his phone. Oh, oh. Asante Samuel tweeted. I miss that guy. Sure-handed tackler. Pro's pro. Good cover guy. Huh, I really could have used him last Sunday, huh? Huh? Hey, what the bleep, Asante? He reads the tweet. Gets all infuriated. Throws the phone like he throws one of those Microsoft tablets. Look out, tablet. Runs back to his office, checks his wall calendar, hoping that the Chargers are on the schedule next so he could take it all out on Asante Samuel Jr. Pull the guard a couple of times, decleat the kid. Sorry, Bill, you do not play the Bolts this year. Maybe if you make the playoffs. Doubt that. Is anybody check Ty Law's Twitter feed to see his thoughts on Bill? You know my guy, Keep Tlaib, he's got a take on Bill. You know it. Troy Brown. Troy Brown was a wide receiver. And Bill even put him on the corner for a bunch of games. And that worked out. 
I wonder if he's going to take a blowtorch to Bill. Then again, since Troy is currently his wide receiver coach, I'm sure Troy could just walk it right on over to his office and tell it to his face. You know, kind of like, hey, Bill. Hey, Bill, you busy? You busy, coach? I just want to tell you. Yo, man, you're an average coach without Tommy. Adios, see you manana. That's a hypothetical question. No, it's not. That was best for the... So, uh, and again, don't at me, Chowds, like I'm out to get you. I'm not. I am you. Well, I'm half of you. So believe me, I'm, I'm half as pissed as you are and half as in the dark as you are because I'm half you. The old man was born in Boston. Went to Brookline High. Went to BU. Escaped. Moved to Cali. Now I'm with you. I'm in the dark like the rest of you. Like, what's this guy doing? And bottom line, bottom line, bottom line. If everything is always done and every decision is made in the best interest of the team, we're just trying to do what's best for the team, how was handling that quarterback situation like that the best for the team when you didn't even tell the team, apparently? Didn't even tell the team. All right, so I have used antiperspirant sticks for years, but what is amazing about Dove Men Dry Spray is that it feels light and clean on your skin, and it's also quick and easy to use, and it's great for topping up when you're on the go. Now, let me ask you this. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48, I said 48, 48 hours sweat and odor protection. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin and it is so quick and easy to use, especially when you're on the go. Also, Dove Men Dry Spray contains... Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect it. Win, win, win. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. We're talking to Chris Mannix. It's almost laughable. Like, that, that can't be a real thing, right? Like, I understand that Westbrook is not this great perimeter shooter or, quote, a laser But 10% from beyond the arc, I understand that he is what he is. I understand that he's a Hall of Famer. I understand that he's an iconic player. But did it ever dawn onto this guy that maybe, maybe during the offseason, maybe you work on developing your shot a little or do something to try to improve it? It's remarkable, really, because we know Russell Westbrook works hard. Um, He's had to work hard. You know, he had to work hard in college to establish himself alongside Darren Collison and to work himself into being a top five pick. He had to work hard in the pros to prove that he was an NBA level point guard and build the skill set that made him an MVP. Look, let's not forget Russell Westbrook with his three straight seasons of triple doubles. That's the Joe DiMaggio hitting streak of NBA records. That will never, ever, ever be done again. You may never get a player averaging a triple-double for one season, much less three consecutive. So he works on his game. But that developing a reliable jump shot has not been a priority is baffling because we know from, from history that shooting is 
a skill you can acquire. It's something you can build on. I mean, years and years ago, I remember Michael Redd, one of the great shooters of 15 years ago or so, being told by George Carl, then his head coach, you'll never make it in the league unless you're a lockdown shooter. He became one. In the twilight of his career, Jason Kidd became a reliable three-point shooter after spending his MVP-level years uh, not being one. So we've seen it done. But Westbrook, he seems to have this sort of Iversonian image of himself where he believes he can still be the guy that we saw six, seven years ago, you know, winning uh, MVPs and making all-star teams. He's just not. The athleticism, while still strong, is not what it used to be. Um, he's not able to just rent, uh, you know, arbitrarily beat guys off the dribble and dominate with his physicality. He, he ha- has needed to add finesse to his game, and he hasn't done that. And, you know, when the, the obituary of Russell Westbrook's career is written, that's going to be pretty high up. We're talking to Chris Mannix. I like all three of the analogies, Chris, honestly, because Allen Iverson, as great as he was, we saw what happened to him when he did not adjust and did not make those changes. It went and it went quickly. I like the Michael Red analogy because Red shot like thousands of shots a day, thousands. And I was going to mention Jason Kidd, who did become a really effective shooter outside. So, Chris, if they have to move Westbrook, is there a deal out there that would instantly turn them into contenders? Well, the... No is the short answer. There, there's no deal that you know you see automatically makes them contenders. Lakers fans can dream of the Wizards giving up Bradley Beal. That's not going to happen. Kyrie Irving isn't going anywhere in Brooklyn this season. Uh, Damian Lillard's not being moved by Portland. There just isn't a a swap that you would say would catapult the Lakers into contention. There are multiple deals though available to them that would make them better. Um, I, the Indiana deal is probably the most appealing one, at least to me, because Indiana uh, would be willing to move Buddy Heald and Miles Turner in exchange for Westbrook and those two first-round picks in 27 and 29. Yes, that's a steep price, but in Heald, you get a career 43% three-point shooter. Miles Turner is a 35% three-point shooter. Uh, he would also be able to play the center, which Anthony Davis, we know, does not want to do. And all of a sudden the Lakers would go from being a team with no floor spacing to having some of the better floor spacing in the league with, with those two guys out there on the floor. Again, it's not a a panacea here. It's not some cure-all, but it would make the Lakers roster better while simultaneously removing the distraction that Westbrook has become, which I don't think can be underscored. I mean, that is significant with the Lakers having like the idea that removing Westbrook is going to make them better. Talking to Chris Mannix for a few more moments. Chris, so what about, for instance, when obviously LeBron is done and they're doing all this to not only placate but take advantage of what he has left because he's still playing at a high level. But when he is done and he moves on, the thinking, of course, would be, well, we have AD. AD can step up. AD can be the face of the franchise. He's obviously very skilled. But do you think that he's built to be that dude? A, do you think he's durable enough to be that dude? And do two, do you think that he's built to be that guy? You would have thought so in New Orleans. You think less so now. I mean, beyond that bubble season where AD was dominant in the playoffs, he was, you know, right up there with LeBron as the reason they won that championship. Um, he has not been the same guy. His injury issues 
have cost this team enormously. It probably cost them a deep playoff run a couple of years ago when he got hurt during that Phoenix series, and him being in and out of the lineup last season certainly cost their ability to make the playoffs. I just don't think you can count on him. I don't believe so. I think at his best, he absolutely is that guy who can you know, be the face of your franchise, be a guy that with a good supporting cast can lead you to a championship, but he hasn't been durable. In the last couple of years, his offense has fallen off a cliff. I mean, last year, his three-point shooting was awful. This year, it's not that much better. You watch some of these games, Jim, and nobody's guarding him out there. You watch, there was that shot that was all over social media that hit the side of the backboard against the Blazers. People were watching the shot. I was watching Yusuf Nurkic not even chase Anthony Davis out on the perimeter. So, you know, he is going to have to get his offensive game right if the Lakers hope he can become once again that player you can build a franchise around. Chris Mannix, my guest. Chris, it's really quickly, it's rare that a team makes it to the NBA Finals and then has a new coach the following year, but there's nothing standard about what happened in Boston when they suspended Ime Udoka. You cover the franchise, you know the team very well. What is the outlook for them this season with former assistant Joe Mazzulla now guiding that team that's 3-1 and one to start the year? I think it's still really good. Um, the team is excellent. The guts of the finals team from last year is back. It's been amplified by Malcolm Brogdon off the bench. They know their identity. They know what they are. And Joe Mazzulla is not coming in there to shake things up. What, what remains to be seen, and we won't know this until the dog days of the season or even the playoffs, is when the going gets tough, is Joe Mazzulla going to be the guy that goes into the locker room and stands up to Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart when need be. Ime Udoka did that last year. He was very willing to mix it up both publicly and privately with the players. But Ime Udoka was backstopped by a seven-year playing career, a championship in San Antonio, stops with the Spurs, Nets, and Sixers as an assistant coach. He had some credibility there. Joe Mazzulla, while exceptionally smart, doesn't have that same level of credibility. So what I'm looking for as we get later into the season, if the going gets tough, how does Joe Mazzulla react to it? And how do the players react to him? That to me is going to tell, um, it'll be a really a, a big signal of how far the Celtics can go this season. It's a great point. Finally, what about Udoka? Is there any chance he returns to Boston after the season? And what do you think his basketball future looks like? I do not believe he'll be back with the Celtics um, it's speculation at this point on my part, but it wouldn't surprise me to see at some point in the next couple of months to have a separation agreement with the Celtics and Yudoka where they go their separate ways. There's a lot still to unpack about what happened with his situation, but I can tell you there are several NBA teams that are going to be digging into it over the next few weeks and months. And if Yudoka becomes available, um, as long as, as it's not the kind of thing that you simply can't come back from, I, I believe we'll see Udoka back on an NBA bench. His, his ability to coach is outstanding, and if teams are comfortable bringing someone like that into the mix, given what's, what's happened, uh, we will see him back on the bench. He is a senior writer for SI, an NBA analyst for NBC Sports Boston, a boxing analyst for DAZN. He's the host of the Crossover NBA podcast. And on top of that, host of Boxing with Chris Mannix pod. Chris, my guy, great job. I appreciate you very much. Great to have you back, Chris. Thank you. Anytime, Jim.
Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. No, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky, shriveled, dry, and tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and it's tasty. It's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four amazing flavors that satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? A call from Alberta. Sean in Alberta. Good to have you, Sean. How are you? Jim, how are you? Good, dude. How are you? Uh, Good. First time, long time, or second time, first time, or however you want to call it. Um, I'm a little nervous, so just bear with me here. I got you. Um, I called you back in 2015 after the Eskimos won the Grey Cup, and I just wanted to say congratulations. And at that time, I said something like, if I ever come to L.A., I want to meet you for a cup of coffee or see one of your horses or take a selfie. And I got laughed off of Twitter, laughed off the show. I got buzzed, so I haven't called since, which brings me to the reason I'm calling today. I just need a drink of water. Hold on. Go ahead. Do what you got to do, my oh, man. My mouth is really dry, and I'm, I've been on the road for a while here. So, anyways, I booked my ticket. Ah! Oh, no. Sean. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. My man. Not a All right, Sean. Alvin, the guy just said. That guy just said. Something horrible happened seven years ago, and it's taken him all that time to get up enough nerve and courage to call back because he got, quote, buzzed and hammered on Twitter, and you just did him again like that? See you in 2029, my man. I I feel badly about that. You know, Sean, I'll tell you why. First of all, Alvin has the authority. Alvin has the autonomy. Alvin made that decision. I'm not passing the buck. I'm just saying he has the authority. If Alvin wants to run a caller, he can run a caller. And apparently he wanted to run you. And he's being very smug about it. Alvin just said, dude, can't imagine why I ran him. Alvin also already found your first call. Now, I was going to say, Sean, in 2015, I probably could not wait to run you for something like that. But now it's 2022. And I'm a little bit different. I'm evolving. I'm morphing. And I found myself actually going back, going back, thinking about how things were when I was coming up and how I used to do things like that. I would call people that I, that I knew of, of course, or reach out to people that I knew of and say things like that. Hey, I'm going to be in your neighborhood. Can we have lunch? Or I'm going to be in New York. Can we have a cup of coffee? I've mentioned that before. I used to hit, when I was young, And in college and getting out, I used to hit Dan Rather all the time. 
all the time. I constantly would send letters. I'm going to be in New York. Can we meet? I'm going to be in New York. And by the way, I was never going to be in New York. I'm going to be in New York. Can I come see you? Literally. I thought that'd be a good idea. And finally, one of his assistants said, stop calling us. You can't see Mr. Rather. This guy made this call, Sean, seven years ago. Sean in Alberta. I just want to say, oh, man, it's seven degrees Fahrenheit in uh, Canada right now. Uh, I'm really nervous. I dream about coming to L.A. and sitting down with you for a coffee. Jim, I just want to say one thing. Congratulations to the Edmonton Eskimos for winning the Great Cup. Uh, I know it's not the Super Bowl, but uh, but what a hell of a game and what a finish. Uh, just one more thing, Jim. I just want to say that if if, uh, if Denver is done with Peyton, uh, the Dolphins will take him. I think he's still got 10, year, 10 good years. Oh, man, he should have reached for a cup of water in that call, in that call too. That was literally the same phone call. That was the exact same phone call, except he was more confident then than today. You know what, Sean? Maybe. I'm not saying no. Alvin is saying no. I'm not saying no. Maybe, dude. Maybe. Maybe we could have a cup of coffee. I'm not saying no, my brother. Honestly. Uh, Alvin's not going anywhere near you, weirdo. But I'm not saying no. I got you, Sean. Stay in the fight, or I'll see you in 2029. Out. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection, the latest innovation from Discover. Discover will help you regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app and see terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. My guest is Chris Long. Chris, great to have you on the show. How are you? Jim, what's up, man? Who's sh- who's shooting ten percent? West Brick. Oh man, West Brick. Dude, how about that? Ten percent from beyond the arc. Dude, you're you're now in the business of talking all sports. What do you make of a guy who is shooting ten percent from beyond the three point line, but will not do anything to fix it? Maybe he needs to move in a little bit. <laughs> Work the midi. That that's not helping either, unfortunately. <laughs> But I, that's where I would start. That's where I would start. Dude, listen, I want to talk to you about the American Prodigy series and your new podcast. I'm going to get to that. But can you jump in on the topic of the day? Chicago comes into Foxborough, Chris. They punch the Patriots in the face. Do you believe Bill Belichick when he says, hey, listen, the plan all along was to play both young quarterbacks. That was our plan. And what do you make of that plan? I don't know what the plan was, but I saw today that Mac Jones threw the ball off the ESPN camera wire on that pick. And if I'm him, I feel kind of bummed out about that because yeah, I mean, it was a tough situation. You come off a high ankle sprain, which, which is tough. I've had them, you know, they, they are a grind and he came back a little earlier than you might expect. And it's raining and, you know, you get, they, they get the kickoff they get in and Chicago, I think just comes out and they're attacking. Get these game plan was amazing. You know, I know, I know it's about the Patriots, but, Justin Fields was incredible. Uh, you know, like, they really threw a lot at him, whether it was quarterback run, moving the pocket, the play action. I was more disappointed with New England's defense, man. I got to be honest. Like, they just sat in zone. You know, I know, you know, when you're playing an athletic quarterback, I'm sure Bill's worried about the scramble, but throw a spy out there. And, um, you know, he picked him apart for a couple uh, a couple quarters there, and, 
they ran the ball well enough. So I just I didn't think the defense was ready. And uh, you know, I don't I don't know that the guy in New England is in the building, Jim. I just don't. Neither of these guys wow me. And if I'm Mac Jones, I don't feel real good about the way you know that 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 Monday game plan played out. Talking to Chris Long, you know what? I want to, Tom, you want to pick that up? I want to, Chris, I want to pick it up. You're breaking up a little bit. He said something that we've not gotten into yet. And if you see it online, there is video. It looked like that ball may have hit, that pick may have hit an ESPN cam, which would make it even worse because if in fact it did, play it over. You know, then the guy gets jerked out of the game over a pick that may not have been his fault if it hit a camera making the situation even worse. And I tend to agree with Chris. The one thing that blew my mind, and the reason I I actually laid the points and felt good about it, and isn't that the way it always is? In fact, Chris Long talks a lot of gambling now. He could relate to this. The one thing I found out, the big head, James Kelly and I, the more we do this, the more I find this to be apparent. The games that I feel best about are the ones I lose. The ones that I feel best about are the ones that I lose. Chris Long is joining us once again. Sorry about that, Chris. I want to make sure that we had the right connection. I agree with you. I can't believe defensively that's the way they looked. Your point about Mac Jones, if you were Mac Jones, do you feel like Belichick mishandled that situation, put him in a really bad spot, and all of a sudden now you have the fans foaming at their mouth for Zappi? If you're Jones, how do you feel about the way the whole thing was handled? To Mac Jones, number one, when Zappi came in, they can run more play action. I just think that's like what they're – that, that's what they're built to do. And, like, that's what Joe Judge and Matt Patricia want to do. Whatever their profile is, the offensive coordinators, like, I think that's what they want to do. And so they're more under center with Zappi. It kind of fits the way they play a little bit more. But to me, like, the offense was pretty good last year. You know, so if I'm Mac, I'm like, damn, you know, the offense changed. i got to learn from two D, a DC and a special teams coach who are moonlighting his OCs. And I'm not saying they're doing a bad job. But if you look at when Zappi came in, they hit their play action shots and the throw to um, Jacoby Myers was not a good throw, right? Um, By the goal line, he had to turn all the way around to catch the ball. You know, he should walk in. So if I'm Mac Jones, I'm kind of like, damn, I'm not really getting a a fair shake here. And that's a situation where the whole stadium's against you. I mean, I couldn't believe they booed him like that. You know, it is a tough situation to walk into and I'm not like some enormous Mac Jones fan, but um I do think we can get kind of smitten with guys that spot start or come in and and uh, and steal you a win or two. If I'm Mac Jones, uh, I'm a little frustrated. I'm not saying the game plan's bad. I don't know what their game plan was. I know, you know, being down ten, spotting them ten points in the first quarter was not part of the game plan. So I think maybe they they thought about playing two quarterbacks. That may be true. And then when they go down ten, you kind of panic a little bit. And that's on the defense. You know, like, the defense needed to give him an opportunity to get his his footing, and they didn't. Talking to Chris Long, I think these are all really, really good points. And, you know, to your point about Mac Jones, he played well last year, and then all of a sudden you've got these guys doing whatever they do, Matt the Pencil and Joe Judge. I I don't know. Jones, I'm guessing, worked his ass off to get back as quickly as he could, and then you put him in that position, and then that happens. It's not ideal, to be sure. Chris, changing topics really quickly, who do you think right now, Chris, is more miserable, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? I think Brady's more miserable. Um, I think Green Bay, although I don't think they're like a contender with kind of what I see out there. I mean, anytime you got Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, you can't count these guys out, but I guess I'll just do it. Like, I'm 
I don't think the Bucks are that good. Like, I just think the Bucks have really fundamental issues. You know, they, they couldn't run the ball. They can't run the ball right now. You could hang your hat on that. They get the ball run on them by, you know, um, Foreman and, and Hubbard. You know, they just traded away the guy in Carolina that gave them 85% of their production a week ago. And they were like, yeah, we'll try these running backs against, against that Bucks defense, which was a scary defense to play last year. And I don't know what's going on. You know, like, I know they had injuries in the secondary and that sort of thing. And, they, you know, I know about the, the offensive woes. Like, listen, I know. Can I talk about gambling on this show? I, Hell yes, you, you can. Know, I was going to ask yeah, you I anyway. Have a, I, have a, I have a huge. And, by the way, I, I was chasing Monday night and just obliterated my bankroll on Thank you. On the Patriots game. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And by the way, Chris, when, when I reestablished, sorry to jump in, but when I reestablished, when we hung up and reestablished, I was going to ask you this. Tell me if this is your experience or not. I, I was chasing. However, I felt good about that. I felt good about laying the points. How often, and in the way the NFL is right now, there are not very many games you feel good about, right? How often is it the game that you feel best about that you get your ass kicked? Oh, it's oh, it's always. And when I'm chasing, I hammer the alt lines, and I hammer like New England first half money line. Like I chase like a coward, and that's the problem. And so it's just right. You know, it, you're thinking, oh, the rain. Bill liked to pour water on the balls when I was there. They practice outside. Justin Fields is the most inaccurate quarterback in the league, and it's almost like you got to fade yourself. But I, you know, like with the Bucks, it's a great line, there, dude. You got to fade yourself. That's you exactly yourself. it. I know it, man. I would do so much better if I just faded myself. Because in that moment, Jim, I'm not Chris Long. I'm Chase Long. <laughs> Chase Long. <laughs> you, know? you are the best. And so, and so, and so, like, you know, I bet the Bucks under win total pretty big. Because I just, you know, all this stuff on paper about, oh, they're adding Julio Jones. They're getting Godwin back. You know, they have Mike Evans. Kyle Rudolph was mentioned. You know, people were just willing themselves to get excited about this group. It's not. You know, it's not the same group. You know, it's, these guys are older, and Julio Jones hasn't been healthy. And then you lose all your guys on the interior in preseason. And it's like Tom Brady is the guy that needs an edge set in the in the pass game. You know, like he needs or not an edge set. He needs to reset that line of scrimmage in the pass game. Like he needs he needs that pocket to be deep. You know, um, so a whole lot of problems for them. Green Bay, I feel like sometimes I feel like they're a player away offensively. Um, and Rodgers wasn't perfect, but he's still Aaron Rodgers, dude. Like, look at a couple of these throws he makes to Lazard every week. Right, so I think they're closer than the Bucks, And I think Brady's still really good. But I, I, I'm not crazy about that team. Talking to Chris Long, I love all that. Now, Chris, if I had said to you before the season that Geno Smith would have a better year than Russell Wilson, what would you have said? <laughs> 